Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, July 20th. Artificial intelligence is meant to improve how we live and work, but it can also be used to create manipulative online content. We talk about how to recognize and address engineered ads and content with Robert Gell, Research Chair of Digital Governance for Social Justice at York University. Our Canadian women kick off the 2023 World Cup tonight against Nigeria. We take the opportunity to look at the issues that still exist around gender equality in sport and the work that needs to be done to close the gap with Tracia Hilton, professor from the Faculty of Social Work at Wilfrid Laurier University. And are the kids bored with summer holidays already? We get some help from Ellen Percival, editor of Calgary's Child Magazine. Ellen offers up some suggestions on summer camps in the city, still offering programs to keep our kids busy before they head back to school. Artificial intelligence has the potential to change the way we work and live, but it's also an amazing tool for scammers thanks to the creation of manipulative content. Joining us to help understand what it is and how it works and how to address it, frankly, is Robert Gale, Ontario Research Chair of Digital Governance for Social Justice at York University. Good morning to you, Robert. Thanks so much for joining us. Morning, Sue. Thanks for having me. Can we begin by just sort of defining, in your words, what do you describe as manipulative content? What does that mean? Well, um, my co-author, Sean Moss, and I wrote a book about this, and we looked at two main sources for manipulative content. One is old-school propaganda, you know, mass media propaganda that emerges in the early 20th century. But we also looked at interpersonal con artists, particularly hackers, social engineers, and what we found is both of these groups are masters at manipulating our emotions or our states of mind, trying to get us to take actions we may not normally take. And these days, this sort of content can appear in digital media, social media, via email, and other channels like that. It's just it's it's, it's a minefield out mm-hmm. there. We want to you know we have to use these things for work and for pleasure. So I want to you know zone in on social media. Because we're on social media, and I think, well, most people, I would think, I don't have the stats in front of me, have a social media account. Can you explain how social media bots mimic human behavior to spread false information? Because I always thought that somebody would, you know, pull one out and it would just kind of be fanned out. But are these being created, these posts? Yeah, indeed. And it depends on the organization doing it. But governments around the world have looked into particularly Twitter bots to shape online conversations. So there's one case study from an election in Sweden that found that uh, Russia in particular was creating a host of Twitter bots that would subtly shape uh, discourse in the Swedish election. Of course, we saw that in the U.S. as well with manipulation happening in Twitter and Instagram. Is, is Will that ever go away, Robert? Because it seems that we just hear about that more and more, and it's really it's manipulating us in so many different ways. In different countries are particularly bad, i.e. Russia. But will it ever go away? Can we ever get a, a handle on that? I think we can. Um, one of the areas of research that I'm engaging in is looking at alternatives to these large uh, global platforms like Facebook and Twitter, I've been studying uh, the Fediverse, which you may have heard about. Uh, recently, we are hearing about Mastodon, which is one of these smaller social media sites. And the way those work is they're installed locally and run by small groups of people. And what I've found is when you have smaller groups of people who are communicating together, they tend to know each other and they tend to moderate manipulative content away. Whereas if you compare it to Twitter and Facebook, they're trying to moderate on a global scale with you know billions of people and that's just impossible and that's where 
these manipulative uh, communicators can insert themselves because there's plenty of opportunity on a global scale. We, we hear a lot about algorithms, and we have, you know, since the beginning of computing. AI algorithms, though, maybe taking things to a next level. And, Robert, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, if you can put this to rest or if you have any knowledge on it. We've heard time and time again, and, and even Sue and myself here have had conversations about, hey, I'm thinking about getting a new camping tent. And then, mm-hmm. lo and behold, on the Facebook, for example, ads yeah. are popping up for Canadian Tire for Tents or Tent World, whatever it may be. Do you believe that AI is using, uh, you know, speakers on our devices to listen to us and to market us? Well, when you look at the big advertising and marketing companies, so I'm thinking Google in particular, and let's face it, Meta or Facebook is largely an advertising company. That's their business. That's where they make their money. They are looking for every possible avenue of information they can get on us, whether it be through listening through microphones or paying attention to what we click, tracking our eye movements. You see this interest in um, things like Oculus or other devices that we wear on our eyes, wanting to see where we're looking. What are we looking at? What, what ads might we be looking at? And also location tracking. Are you walking into this store or that store? And all of that information feeds into algorithms that shape what we see in social media because the goal is to you know, A, keep our attention on the platform, and B, guide us subtly to particular products. So those kind of creepy moments that you describe, I hear that all the time. You know, it happens all the time. I said something, and all of a sudden, uh, a day later, I'm seeing an ad for that very thing. Uh, that's not accidental. One last question, and that is, mm-hmm. and I've heard time and time again when people say, you know, social media is not free. Uh, the payment is our information. The payment right. is, you know, our eyes and our dollars, as you mentioned, like we are the product. Is there a way to safeguard ourselves or at least, you know, protect ourselves from being the target of AI and, and kind of being used in that manner? Or is it a case that, you know, if you want to be on the online world, this is what you have to come to accept? Or, or are there things that we can do? Well, a lot of solutions that get proposed are individual solutions. You know, you can do all sorts of stuff to prevent your data from being shared with these companies. But frankly, I think we're all, each of us, too small to do it alone, and we need government regulation of these large companies. We need better privacy protections. That's the only real way forward, in my view. It is a fascinating conversation and one we will continue, no doubt, to have. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Robert. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Robert Gale, Ontario Research Chair of Digital Governance for Social Justice at York University in Toronto. The FIFA Women's World Cup kicks off for Canada tonight in Australia. And as these athletes walk onto the world stage, it's time to shine a light on the struggle for equality in sports, something that we've been talking about for the past couple of years, really, in different sports. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Joining us to talk about it is Tricia Hilton, Assistant Professor, Faculty of Social Work at Wilfrid Laurier Institute. Good morning to you, Tricia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's a topic we need to continue talking about, shining a light on the inequality. Where are we with particularly women's soccer? Because the the women, the soccer players, they fought for and, and they ended up do, they get did get equality in terms of pay, did they not? So it, it's interesting uh, because each country is different, right? So the United States, for sure, they had a 20-year battle to fight for pay equity. But that is not the case with a lot of countries like Canada, like Spain, 
um, like England that are still fighting for pay equity within their own federations, within their own football federations. So while there is some, in particular the U.S., it doesn't mean that it's, it's for everyone. And here in Canada, we are still fighting for that. With the women's team in February, their kind, their funding rather um, being cut. You know, four months before the World Cup. So, while I cheer for them today, I also advocate for their pay equity. So that's the focus, Tricia, on the pay equity, and like you say, down south, further ahead than we are here in Canada. But in general terms, if we, if we could take a step back and take a look at where we are when it comes to equity in sport and where we were. Can we measure progress? Have we made strides in the past maybe 10, 20 years? There's been some strides, absolutely. Uh, More girls are participating in sports. Um, There are more sports programs uh, for women, and there are more coaches. But the strides that we've made, they can be easily erased, and it's not enough because there's still a huge discrepancy in every single sector of sports. Right. So while there's more women that are coaching in comparison to men, it's actually really low because the bar where we're starting from was so low. So, yes, absolutely. We could say that, you know, there's these strides being made in particular on the big stages like the World Cup. But it doesn't mean that um, there isn't there isn't. the necessity for continued progress. And we have to think of progress like that, that it's a constant struggle. Tricia, is it kind of like the, the chicken and the egg? You know, the, the argument I've heard is, well, you know, people aren't as interested in women's sports. They don't get carried on, you know, sports television coverage, for example, as much. But if you don't get people involved in the sport and allow them to see it, how can you grow it? I mean, that that seems to be the problem, isn't it? You are absolutely 100% correct. And it's not true that people are not interested in sports. People don't have an opportunity to see women's sports because it's not broadcast as much as it is as men's sport. And men's sport actually wasn't what it is today. What it was, you know, 30 years ago, what they did was they invested, right? They invested, and here you have big products. We need to do the same for women. You have to invest. So it means investing from girls are in kindergarten all the way to the professional field. And it means a continuous investment. There's been some investments by corporations like Visa uh, for this year's World Cup. It means Visa or another corporation has to continue. It can't be a one-off. That's not advocacy. That, That won't create equity. It has to be perpetual. And that's what we're fighting for is that perpetual, continuous cycle. And yes, people do love women's sports. I just finished watching the match between Australia and Ireland, and it was amazing. (laughs) And people were watching it, and the stadium was filled. So that is incorrect. Mm -hmm. So the product is there, Mm -hmm. the the entertainment value. And let's be honest, when it comes down to watching pro sports, we want to be entertained. We've got... The same level of fireworks uh, as we'd see with the men. But as far as the female pro athletes, and they're providing a roadmap for girls and women to be heroes in football and in broader society and, and different sports, how much of an onus is it on these female pro athletes 
to promote the sport to, to young girls. So they do that. The onus is already been done for uh, by women, and the reality is that it can't always be on women, right? Like it, it, the entire process of equity can't be the responsibility of women only. As a society, we all have to take that up. And I would argue that by women stepping on that field, they've already accomplished that and more, right? So the idea that, you know, women have to support women, they are. And they've always done that, right? The the, 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 the issue is actually systemic. The issue is actually how we view women's sports. And there is an awesome commercial that I, I invite folks to watch. And it's uh, a commercial about the French women's team. And what they did was they did some AI in which everybody thought it was the men's players. And then it was actually the women players. But it really looked at how we watch women and how we watch men and how we're encouraged more by men, even though it's the same move. It is a brilliant commercial. I've seen it, Tricia. It's fantastic. Oh, okay. Everybody should just look for that today to watch it for sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what do we do as, you know, as, as people who just like to watch sport? We're not good enough to per- perhaps be participating at that level, but we watch sport and we want to see more female athletes, more female sports, you know, coverage, et cetera. What, what can we do? We promote it. We keep on talking about it, you know, and we ignore the trolls, as we would say, right? We keep doing it. We constantly do it. I constantly write about it. I write about it to say, you know, I am so excited to be watching teams that, you know, like Zambia, Morocco, and Haiti. And at the same time, I bring awareness to pay equity, um, you know, lack of sponsorship, uh, abuses, and et cetera. I do both. I love it, and I advocate it for mm-hmm. it at the same time. You, you mentioned and everybody could do that. Mm-hmm. Everybody could do that. You mentioned that you know we made the comparison between what's happening in the U.S. when it comes to women's sport and, and here in Canada. We need more to be done. Are there other countries in the world that, that really have it right that we can take cues from and, and grow women's sport and give it the respect it deserves that we can follow their models? You know that's an interesting question, and I think each country is quite different, right? Certainly, we could you know, borrow some, you know, examples, but I think we should actually, each country has to look at their own sort of um, progress in itself because to compare us against anybody else, it is hard, right? Mm -hmm. You're looking at the U.S. They have a million and ten universities, and that gives them, facilities it gives them the best coaches it gives them it gives them more chances which is probably why they they're trying to win three in a row you know so what we could do in canada is say okay what is our population you know how many girls are interested in participating you know how do we get to grassroots levels how do we make sure that black and indigenous girls have an opportunity because they're the least invested in you know so for for us we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, you know, how how do we make sure that in 2027 we have a, you know, a robust system that really supports women and girls? Mm -hmm. Do we have 
coaches? Is, is there, you know, is, is there a, a, a program that, you know, in, increases more women coaches? And I always say we have to go back to grassroots. That's where that's where soccer begins, like in the community. It's fascinating because we get a text from Roberto that says the problem with women's soccer is they don't have any superstars like Pele or Maradona. No, the problem is that, you know, female sports don't get the the hype. They don't get the coverage that men's sports do that allows male stars like that to be, you know, look at Christine Sinclair. She's she's massive in the sporting world, but there's only a few examples because we don't give it enough attention. Thanks so much for your time, Tricia. Really great discussion this morning. Thank you for the invitation. Enjoy the rest of the day and the World Cup. Thanks, you too. Tricia Hilton, Assistant Prof, Faculty of Social Work at Wilfrid Laurier University. And my youngest is already complaining, I'm bored with summer holidays. Is it too late for parents to get their kids signed up for some fun activities? Let's find out from the editor of Calgary's Child Magazine, Ellen Percival. Hi, Ellen. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for offering up some help. Maybe other parents are in the same boat or the kids are just complaining and bored or sitting on their screens. Is it too late or is there still stuff we can sign up for? There there are still some camps that have spots for sure. Um, we have a list of some of them in our current issue just to help parents. You know how sometimes kids are like, I don't want camp. I'm not going to camp. Mm-hmm. Don't sign me up for camp. And then, yes, you're right. We get into the first two or three weeks. Their friends are all in camp, they're bored, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, they're looking for camp options. So the city of Calgary has those wonderful stay-and-play and 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 park-and-play options. They're available at various parks. They rotate through the quadrants. Um, You'll find it at calgary.ca. They're free. They're wonderful. You stay with your little wee ones, you know, the really small ones you have to stay with. But little older kids, you can drop for the day with a lunch and sunscreen and a hat and water and come drop them off and pick them up at any kind of time through the day they can stay for a whole day or you can pick them up after a few hours so that's always a great option we love free right we love free no you know you're talking talking to here ellen absolutely (laughs) sign me up for the free Uh, but what about some of the uh shiny camps that we did see months ago it seems to be the case you know maybe they have tech or you know very special uh, and focused activities can we get into some of those specialized camps still at all Uh, (laughs) those ones do book up quickly because typically those kids are already taking that programming through the year and they know that they're into a little higher level of sports and training um and so families typically look for the extension of their programming through the summer you can still find some i don't you know i don't want to say no but you have much better you'll have much better luck if you stick with like city of calgary our larger rec centers through the city because they have the facility and they have the staffing and they have that infrastructure and almost always you can still get into what you know i kind of call the potpourri camps that's a little of this a little that little inside some pool time some gym time and you can do Um, drop in sometimes with those right ellen yeah, you can. There's a few drop-in. Paint your art out if your child's into art. Has has one or two day options, and which is just, boy, that's hard to find in this city. I hope that camps kind of take note and just know that that typical nine to five, five day a week family doesn't. You know, it, it's not necessarily the norm anymore. And we're seeing families that have a need for programming on the weekends because they work weekends mm-hmm. or they're not a typical nine to five shift. So I'm really happy to see that 
some of the camps are starting to shift and understand that families may only need a camp one or two days a week. Maybe that's a budget thing, or maybe, you know, they've got wonderful things planned for the rest of the week that they can take and do with their kids. But, it, it you know, there are a few that will offer drop-in and some that will let you register for one or two days. It's a very tough time for those folks who are up against it. I always say to my kids because they have like nine weeks off. Guess what? I've got like less than half of that all year. Uh, but uh, yeah. if, if, if you're in that bind, you know, good luck to you. Uh, but if it's a case that you just want to keep them entertained, any other inexpensive summer fun ideas for us oh. that we could take the kids out and about for? I have 44 pages. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, is so that all? We, we could be talking all the day. Just start listing them off. How about no. some highlights? Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. Okay, we've got some wonderful bike rides. Let's go explore that 140K of pathways that we are so mm. lucky to have here in the city. We've got beginner for your little wee ones, but this issue, okay, we've got the more advanced. Let's get the tweens and teens out onto them, back onto their bikes. So we've got a couple of one-way destination, which means you're going to need a car on the other end. But, you know, 21K, Fish Creek to East Village, or Silver Springs Botanical to Stampede Park is 18K. So that's in there. We've got all of the pools, splash parks, spray parks, splash parks, spray parks. Boy, my my mouth's not working. (laughs) Those are all listed for you. We've got a whole bunch of museums. Go and explore hangar flight or military, gasoline alley, studio bell. How about meeting some animals? Do you want to meet an alpaca and have a little drive at the same time? The little, just over an hour outside of Calgary, you'll find Kirk's alpaca near Torrington. The alpacas are so, so cute. Butterfield's closer. Granary Road, south on 22X, has the active learning park, their market. They've got goat yoga, and they have a family fun fair coming up July 29-30. You pick at farms. Do you like berries? Yes. Okay. So it's it's perfect perfect season to go pick some berries. We've got you pick at farms all around Calgary. We have a list for you, but Saskaberry Ranch, if you've never been there in Saskatoon, Berry Farm, like they're so wonderful. They have an amazing restaurant. They've got a market. You can go pick some berries. Farmers markets, of course, are all over town. Our calendar of events is two full pages of all kinds of activities wow. going on. And finally, if you want to get outside of Calgary, we've got we've got wonderful ideas. A whole article on exploring the Badlands, or Airdrie, Macomb County, Kamloops, or a two-day. We've planned a weekend for you to Pincher Creek and Castle Provincial Park. And that should keep everybody busy. Wow, that sure should. You have covered it all in Calgary's Child magazine, and you always do. You can pick it up on newsstands. You can go to calgaryschild.com. Thank you, Ellen, for laying it out because (laughs) I'm sick of my kids saying, I'm bored, so now I've got some ideas. Awesome. You're very welcome. Thank you. Ellen Percival, editor of Calgary's Child magazine.